this morning of the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, the service in which we give thanks, a time to remember and a time to rededicate. And I pray that all of that will have gone on as we worshiped you around your table. Let us remember that communion with you also declares that we must enjoy communion with one another. It is an imperative. We must not stand isolated, live alone, but we need to come together and do our best to share life and support those around us. So Lord, open our eyes not only to the truth of Scripture that declares your greatness, but Lord, also to the importance of Scripture that commands us to live out these truths. Open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things from your law, we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Bragging rights. It's defined in the dictionary as a temporary position of ascendancy in which there has been a heated contest against an arch rival and you were, at least that time, the victor. So until the next contest, you have bragging rights. The winner at the county bake-off has bragging rights for the best pie until the next summer. It's the valedictorian who has bragging rights over their classmates. And it is the football team from Ann Arbor that presently has bragging rights over us because we lost last time. Bragging rights, it's, it's inbred in humans. That is this desire to boast. It seems like we need to boast. We need to inflate our own ego. People around us apparently aren't doing enough of it, so we pump as hard as we can. And we brag about any accomplishment that uh, whether it is a real one or just one that seems to be an accomplishment. We boast about education. We boast about possessions, about success and position, reputation. We even boast about our spiritual growth and piety. Is it ever right to brag in the arena of religion? Is it ever right, is it ever beneficial to boast about your spiritual condition? Well, notice the verse on the screen from Galatians chapter 6, and if you have your Bibles, you can turn there in the New Testament to Paul's letter to the churches that were in the region of Galatia, and we call the book Galatians. Paul says in verse 14, God forbid... Or may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So God forbid that I should boast in anything except one thing, and that is the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Greek word here for boast is an unusual word that is difficult to find an equivalent in any other language because it seems to involve two things. First of all, the idea of boasting or declaring 
your position. But then secondly, the idea of something you live for that is an obsession. So you are not only boasting about some accomplishment, you are saying, this is my obsession. It engrosses your attention. It fills your horizons. It dominates your mind. And for Paul, this was the cross. The Lord Jesus Christ was the center of his faith. He said in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 21, for me to live is Christ. Christ was his obsession. And it should be equally ours. He should be our obsession. Let others boast about money or success or fame or power. We should be obsessed with Jesus Christ and his cross. Now, Paul wasn't coming up with something new. For if you study the life of Christ, you might say that he too was obsessed with the cross. When we did our study through the Gospel of Mark, we found repeated times where Jesus said, I must go to Jerusalem and there be crucified. He commonly spoke of his hour that had not yet come, and it was the hour for which he had come into the world, and it was the hour of his death. He gave instructions to his disciples about how to remember his death and burial with what we call the Lord's Supper. Last week, we had Memorial Day in which we remembered those who had given their lives or put their lives on the line for our freedom. And we said it's good for us to remember, even in the spiritual realm, so we should have a daily remembrance by reading the word and praying. We should have a weekly remembrance coming to worship on Sunday. And here at South, we have a monthly remembrance, and that is the Lord's table. So Christ had this as the center of his life, and he taught his disciples to remember him by repeating this wonderful ceremony about the bread and the juice. You see, the cross dominates the New Testament, and you don't understand Christ until you understand the cross. In fact, you haven't found Jesus Christ until you understand that all of the Bible points to him. You can read your Bible through time and time again, but if you don't see the centrality of the cross and the person of Christ, you read your Bible with little profit. And it is amazing to me, out of all the possible symbols that Christians could have chosen to represent Christianity, like a crib for the unique birth of Jesus, right? Or a servant's towel because he wrapped himself with a towel and washed the disciples' feet. Or maybe it would be a bench because of the carpenter shop or a boat that he often traveled with and stilled the storm on the Sea of Galilee. Or maybe a throne because one day all the kingdoms will be his. But of all those possible uh, symbols, the church passed them all by and chose the cross because the cross is so central and if you misunderstand the cross you misunderstand Christianity altogether but why boast in something that is a symbol of shame put yourself back into the first century and the cross had no beauty to it whatsoever it was an object of distaste and disgust and yet Christians chose the cross 
Fascinating. Did you notice in our text, that is verse 14 of Galatians chapter 6, that there are three crucifixions, but just one cross? Paul says, I boast in the cross of Christ. Jesus was crucified on it, through which the world has been crucified to me. The world has been crucified on the cross. And I to the world, the Christian, has been crucified on the cross. One cross, but three crucifixions. So why boast? Well, I can't give you all the answers, but let me give you a couple important ones. The first is this. Jesus died on it, so the cross is the way of forgiveness or the way of salvation. Now, since Paul makes this statement at the end of the book of Galatians, it would be helpful for us if we were able to go earlier into the book and see what led up to this crescendo, to this ultimate statement about boasting in the cross. Well, I think, first of all, you have to understand why the cross, and it's because of our great need. It's because of our great sin. That's why there's a cross. Go back to Galatians chapter 3 and verse 22. The scriptures declare that the whole world is a prisoner of sin. So that what was promised, being given through faith in Christ, might be given to those who believe. That is, the scriptures declare without hesitation that the whole world has sinned and therefore is a prisoner to sin. Dominated by it, bound to it, cannot free themselves from it. You see, without a proper view of the nature of sin, there is no understanding of the cross. Without an understanding of the depth of our sin, of our own depravity, of our own inability to save ourselves, we'll not understand the necessity of the cross. Now, it's true that man is totally depraved. That's a statement theologians use, but it often is confusing. What does it mean to be totally depraved? I see some good people around who aren't Christian. Well, it doesn't mean that you are as bad as you could be. It just means that the totality of your being, your mind, and your heart, and your will are all affected by this thing called sin. The image of God is still in you. It has not been destroyed, but it has been defaced and defiled. So although we still have image of God in us, everyone created by him, and we still do many good things, that is, by the standard of our communities in which we live, Still, even our good works are tainted by this thing called sin. It's a mighty spiritual disease. We all have it, and it binds us to always doing what is not right. That's why the movement that is so popular in our land today that is even connected to spirituality called the Human Potential Movement is so devastating, so subtle, deceptive, and destructive. The human potential movement, and you see it with self-help gurus and many of the spiritual leaders that you might see on TV or that are extremely popular, they teach about self-discovery and self-esteem, and everything seems to be self-centeredness in every possible form. They hate the doctrine of the cross. 
They call it morbid. It's an obsession with guilt. They deplore a mention of sin or guilt or judgment. There's no need for atonement, no need for repentance. If you believe there is sin, something is wrong with you. In fact, one of these self-help gurus said, you're all the children of God. You share in the immortal bliss your holy and perfect beings. It is a sin to call yourself a sinner. <laughs> and that's why people hate the cross, because the cross humiliates. They often, those in the self-help movement, will interpret salvation in terms of recovering your self-esteem. And it's not just those in that movement. There are some great people from the arenas of intellectual uh, academia who believe that this whole idea of the cross is horrible. One of the most fav famous quotes comes from an Oxford professor, Sir Alfred Eyer. He wrote the book Language, Truth, and Logic, and he said this. There's a strong case for making Christianity the worst of all religions of any historical importance. Why? Because it rests on the allied doctrines of original sin and vicarious atonement, which are intellectually contemptible and morally outrageous. That's why the cross brings persecution. But Paul says, I'm going to boast in it because in the cross, I see my own need. Yes, I understand how sinful I am. And sin, as William Temple has defined it, is self. Sin is self. We put ourselves on the throne and we try to dethrone God. Everything we do is to promote ourselves, protect ourselves, comfort ourselves. Even our good works are done to feel better about ourselves. Sin is self. And the cross kills self. As well as atoning for our sin. Martin Luther described it this way. He said, man is curved in upon himself. It's a great way to describe it. We are curved in upon ourselves. Everything is about us. Everything is about us. Everyone on the road drives as though no one else exists. And I'm upset because that's the way I drive. And I want them to be aware of me. Don't cut in on me. Don't push me from behind. Yeah, it's all about self. You see, sin, when it is stripped of all its various disguises, is seen in its ugly nakedness. It's merely our attempt to dethrone God and be God ourselves. We think we know better than God. And so we do things to benefit ourselves. But the cross not only reveals how sinful we are and also our inability to help our own selves. There's no hope that we as sinful beings can come into the presence of this holy God. But the cross demonstrates his great love. In the cross, the love of God is revealed. So it reveals my sin because God went to great lengths. I mean, it had to be pretty serious for God to send his son to die. My sin had to be pretty horrible 
to pay that kind of price. But in doing so, God revealed his amazing love to us. Look at Galatians chapter 1 and verse 4. Well, it starts out in verse 3. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, that's what he wants us to experience. Grace and peace. Who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of God our Father. And to him be glory forever. And you'll remember in John's gospel, the greatest definition of love is this. Greater love has no one than this, than that a person would lay down their life for their friends. And that's what Jesus has done. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, God demonstrates his love. There's a lot of demonstrations going on in our world today, and they're demonstrations uh, usually of anger. They're demonstrations of uh, of being upset and wanting to change the status quo. And sometimes demonstrations are very good and often they're extremely self-centered. This demonstration was a demonstration of the love of God. But God demonstrates his love for us. Even though we were rebels and sinners, Christ died in our place. And that's why you and I can glory in the cross. Because the cross is the way of forgiveness. We have great sin, and God has greater grace. And it's all demonstrated in the love of God sending his son to die on the cross for us. So I'll glory in that. By the way, if these things are true, nothing surpasses them in matter of importance. Your eternal soul is the most important thing in the world. But secondly, we died on the cross right? So it's not just God, Jesus, dying on the cross for our sin. We died on the cross, and this is the way for our own personal holiness. This is the way for our ongoing discipleship. For on the cross, the world died to us, and we died to the world. You see, on the cross, Jesus died as our substitute. He took our place. But also on the cross, Jesus died as our representative. We died with Christ. We were in Christ and died with Christ. And so it's not just something he did on our behalf. It's something we actually did with him. Was this spoken about before in the book of Galatians? How about chapter 2 in verse 20? One of my all-time favorite verses. Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. And yet, I'm alive. I'm not dead. But the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. I'm I'm alive in the flesh, but I'm dead, but Christ lives in me, and so he's my obsession. The life that I now live in this human body, is for Christ. I live for the one who loved me so much. There it is. He gave himself for me. And that's what the cross declares. So I died with Christ. Look at chapter 5, verse 24. (coughs) 
Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. So, becoming a Christian is about the cross. And living the Christian life is about, get this, the cross. The cross is the way to forgiveness. The cross is the way to holiness. The cross is the way to salvation. Christ is our substitute. The cross is the way of sanctification. He's our representative, and we live his life on this earth. And that's why in Mark chapter 8, in verse, 30, in verse 34, we have these words. Take up your cross. Take up your cross daily. Take up your cross and follow me. And to take up your cross, you must deny yourself. That's what it means to take up the cross. Taking up the cross doesn't mean that you have a difficult trial and you've got to bear with it. Taking up the cross doesn't mean you have a cold and it's going to be tough to go to work. Oh, I've got to bear my cross today. I've got the sniffles. Not what it means. Unbelievers get the sniffles. Taking up the cross means you're dead. You see, in the first century, no one had to explain this term, but we have to explain it in the 21st century. In the first century, if you saw someone walking through town with uh, the, the crossbar on their back or carrying the whole cross, going to the place of execution, you didn't have to run up to them and say, hey, excuse me, sir, what in the world are you doing? The whole land was occupied by Roman soldiers. Executions were a regular thing. You knew that guy was a condemned criminal who soon would be executed. There was only one place where he was going, and that was to death. So when the Bible says take up your cross, it only means one thing, die to yourself. If sin is self, then taking up the cross is dying to self. Doesn't that make sense? Diedrich Bonhoeffer, in his great book on the cost of discipleship, said when Christ calls, he bids us to come and die. What a dramatic image of self-denial. Now, to be sure, Jesus wants you to find yourself, as they talk about in the human growth potential movement. Jesus wants you to be fulfilled and find satisfaction in life, but it all comes only through the cross. Here's the unique thing about the message of the gospel. The road to self-discovery is self-denial. The way to find yourself is to lose yourself. The way to live is to die. The way to peace is through the cross. And this, my friend, is an extremely important message because all across our land and all across our world people are trying to dilute the message of the cross now if you've never been around church and i always think about this when we sing songs as we did this morning to hear people sing with a smile on their face about blood may seem a very strange thing to you and if your only introduction to blood and the drinking of blood is the vampire diaries, then you wonder, what in the world is this church doing? I mean, if you've never been to church, those are your thoughts, and I understand that. So I want you to know that we're not talking about vampires, and it's 
not something weird. We're talking about Jesus giving his life. You say, but that's horrible to think of someone dying on the cross. That God will send his own son to die on the cross. That's horrible. I can't even think about it. That's how bad your sin is. And the only way to get rid of it was the ultimate sacrifice. Some people think becoming a Christian is just adding a religious veneer onto a pagan heart. I'll go to church. I'll even dress up. I'll carry my Bible and read it occasionally. I'll sing the songs. But when I get out of here, it makes no difference. But that's not becoming a Christian. Becoming a Christian involves a radical change. So dramatic that only one image can carry it to our heart. And that is crucifixion. So not only did Jesus die on the cross, but you and I died on the cross. But remember this, if we died with him, we will also live with him, right? Because the cross is not the end. It yields to resurrection. And so now we have this newness of life. So I glory in the cross because it is the instrument by which Jesus paid the price for my sin. And I glory in the cross because it is the way of holiness. Paul says we shouldn't glory in anything else. By the way, in the context, that's exactly what was happening. Look at verse 12, chapter 6, verse 12. Those who want to make a good impression outwardly, trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted because people hate the cross and the cross brings persecution. Not even those who are circumcised obey the whole law, yet they want you to be circumcised so that they might boast about your faith, so that they might boast about, we've got another hundred converts this year. All such boasting is false. So may I never boast like that in my own achievement. May I boast in the achievements of Christ. In this day, churches, to be popular, are being unfaithful to the Scriptures. So we may have to give up popularity to be faithful. The question is, are we willing to be unfaithful in order to be popular, or are we willing to be unpopular in our determination to be faithful? In the end, there's only one alternative when you think about it. Either we glory in ourselves and in our own achievements, or we glory in Christ and his wonderful achievement on the cross, there is no other possibility. Two religions in the world, one that is made of man and one that is made of God, redeemed by the Lord Jesus and his own shed blood on the cross. I think William Temple was right when he said, in reality, There is nothing we do for our own eternal life. There is nothing we do to purchase our own eternal salvation. It is all the work of God. It is all of God. The only one thing of which I can contribute to my own salvation is this. The sin from which I need to be redeemed. That's it. And so a child who paints on the wall with crayon or 
permanent marker. And the mother goes ballistic. And the father disciplines. But then they say, you know, this is a good time for us to paint the kitchen. So they get the paint out. And they paint the room. And now it's a beautiful color. And the mother is so happy. And the dad is happy because the mother is happy. Because happy wife, happy life. And the child is happy because he said, don't forget, I'm the one who started this ball rolling. I should get some credit. Yeah, the only thing you contributed were marks on the wall, which we had to clean up and paint over. The only thing you contribute to your salvation, my friends, is your sin. And you've done a good job at that, and so have I. But God, in his grace, sent his son to die in our place. And that's what we boast in today. A new convert was giving his testimony in a church service and with a smile on his face and joy in his heart. He related how he'd been delivered from a life of sin. He gave all the glory to God, said nothing about his own goodness, and then he sat down. The person in charge of the meeting apparently didn't believe that salvation was purely by grace, that you had to add something to it. So he he responded to the young man's comments by saying, you seem to indicate, young man, that God did everything when he saved you. Didn't you do your part before God did his? The young man stood up again and said, oh yes, yes indeed I did. For more than 30 years, I ran away from God as fast as my sins would carry me. That was my part. But God in his grace ran me down. And that was his. Salvation is all of God, and that's why we boast in the cross. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray this morning that you will give us the understanding we need to not only grasp the truth of the cross and see the love that is displayed, but that we might go a step further we might cast ourselves upon the cross. And then I pray for every Christian here who knows Christ, that there may be born in their heart today a strong desire to be obsessed with the cross alone and only boast in what you have done. In the cross of Christ I glory, towering o'er the wrecks of time. All the light of sacred story gathers round His head sublime. Teach us to boast in nothing, but teach us to boast in the cross. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. You are dismissed.